Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. COVID has been so devastating. And to see 38,000 people at Fenway Park, it was really emotional and rewarding. On the business side, from ticket sales to jersey sales, revenues were up. Everything was really good. It was a really solid year. I realized that at the beginning of 2019, it would be a very unique opportunity in terms of a lot of contracts being up at the same time and a lot of exciting young wrestlers being available to go out and start a wrestling company. The country is finally deeply getting the memo about how amazing this sport is. I think the sky's the limit for MLS. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Mike Lynch. And coming up today, we wrap the year in sports with Boston Globe sports columnist and associate editor Dan Shaughnessy. And But first, we got to wish you, first of all, Lynchy, a happy new year, man, 2022. Let's start this party out right, sir. All right, pal, and happy new year to all our listeners, and uh, we appreciate your loyalty and looking forward to uh, entertaining you, inspiring you, and informing you in 2022. How's that? <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> uh, let's start. Uh, you know, if you used to play in the NBA or the NHL, uh, you might want to contact the leagues because the NBA is now saying, hey, listen, uh, if you need a 10-day contract because we're having a whole bunch of COVID Omicron variant issues, come on down. At least 80 players have been signed by the NBA teams uh, as the coronavirus Omicron variant spreads, Lindsay. Yeah, that used to be an emergency situation, and you'd see it during the course of the last 30 years or so. And it was very rare. So-and-so is signed to a 10-day contract, and that person, know they're coming in until someone finishes their rehab or their sprained ankle healed, and then they were you know, back out of Dodge. But some of these guys are going to hang around for a while, and those 10-day contracts may be extended. Now, the Celtics have signed Joe Johnson, who they drafted 20 years ago, yeah. to a 10-day contract. And they're so impressed with his leadership and the influence that he has on the team, which has really had a mercurial season up and down, that they may keep him around long term. Um, the NBA is getting a little bit of a break on the salary cap with this. So th this could open up some jobs for some guys, and the guys could lose some jobs as well. Yeah, uh, this is going to stay in place, according to the league, at least until January 19th. Mm -hmm. So they can do this going on. And also, by the way, the league is requiring all the teams to sign replacement players if they have more than one player out with a coronavirus infection. Yeah, they don't want to lose any television revenue. They don't want to have to postpone or cancel any games, especially some big marquee games. I know they had their fingers crossed on Christmas Day because that is a huge day for the NBA, and they made it through. But there were a couple of games that they were really not sure about right until the last minute. This Omicron variant uh, it, it's kind of caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, going through the leagues, but like you said, they're going to plow through, especially the NFL. The NFL is, as we have mentioned earlier, they have cut their protocol following the CDC of the 10-day uh, staying away from other players and, and hibernate, whatever you want to call it, to five days. 
and uh, it, you know, and, and again, uh, it's I get it because the league is saying, look, we need these people to come back. And if you talk about revenue for television, the NFL is in. The NFL is king. I'm interested to get Dan Shaughnessy's take on this and what they've done with the protocols. It, it appears, obviously, that they're going to do everything they can to get all these regular season games in. There's only two weeks left in the regular season, and then the playoffs go for, for quite a while, and that's where they get most of their attention. And uh, it's almost as if they're, they're pretending that COVID doesn't exist. Let's just, uh, you know, if, if, we don't, if we don't see it, we don't say it, it doesn't exist. So interested to hear Shaughnessy's take on that. And the NHL, they're trying to get their league back on track because it, and this is a horrible pun, but and I don't mean it like this, but they've been skating on thin ice with all of this with the COVID. And right now they're, they're trying to get their personnel. They're going to the five-day condition instead of 10 days. Uh, this is a mess, Lynchy. I, I, again, I just, I thought we were, out of the woods. I thought we had a chance for it, and, and now here we are. I really did. Uh, this invisible enemy is just so hard to predict where it is, where it's going to strike, where it's going to creep up. Uh, the NHL, unlike other leagues, the, the NFL has no teams in Canada. Basketball has one. Baseball has one. But the National Hockey League has seven teams right. in Canada. And you have to be in isolation for 10 days if you test positive in Canada. So that means anybody that goes in there and test positive, has to stay in Canada and can't come back to the United States and rejoin their team. So a lot of games that were scheduled to be played between American teams and Canadian teams in Canada have now been rescheduled. For instance, the Montreal Canadiens were supposed to host the Bruins on January 12th. Now that game is going to be played in Boston. And yeah, I, I think it's going to be very, very rare. You're not going to see when you see teams crossing the border and going into Canada. Yeah, and you, you made a very good point. Uh, in Canada, it's still 10 days. So yep. it, it's... You know, you can still you're still going to have that ten day problem uh, for the league to be in isolation. It, all I can say is, and just saying a prayer for everybody uh, out there. I, I just wonder what's going to happen with baseball because <laughs> we're coming up pretty soon on pitchers and catchers, and and <laughs> what's going to happen here? I mean, it, the COVID protocols for Major League Baseball. What are we going to do? Well, right now players are not allowed to go near their facilities because there's a lockout in existence, uh, which nobody has really talked about. Uh, everyone is, is sort of holding off and pressing the panic button until around February 1st. Uh, but in late January, that's when players trickle in that live in, in, in Arizona and Florida and live nearby in some of the training facilities. They go in there and they work out, they throw, they lift weights, they work out with the trainers. They're not allowed to do any of that stuff now. So if any baseball players want to work out, they'll be at a local college or, or high school field uh, working out until this lockout is lifted. Uh, but this is something that's going to come roaring down the tracks as well. First of all, they got to get a labor agreement, and then they have to yeah. have what kind of protocols are they going to be uh, practicing. Let's talk about some happy news. Yes. Tiger Woods. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> Tiger and Charlie, Charlie, his son, they looked yeah. great uh, when they were playing in the tournament just about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I mean, and Charlie, first of all, 12 <laughs> years old, and he's got style, and he has grace playing the game, Lynchy. I want his swing. I'm going to put <laughs> it up there right now. My birthday's not till September, but you can buy me, if you can buy me Charlie's swing, that will be the greatest birthday gift I will ever receive because I will be on my way in golf. But they are so much fun to watch. And, of course, it raises the speculation and the rumors and the whispering. 
Can Tiger come back? Will he make it back for the Masters in April? What a story that would be. Well, right now, Tiger's sort of shooting. He's, he's already declared he's not going to play a full season on the tour, but he'd like to play in a couple individual events. And he says he's shooting for the Open, uh, which is what they call it over in, 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 across the pond. We call it the British Open here. And that's in July at St. Andrews, where he has won two of his three claret jugs. And that would be something. But before that, there were two majors here, the, the Masters in Augusta in mm-hmm. uh, April and the U.S. Open right. at the Venerable Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, which comes uh, on Father's Day weekend in June. Speaking of Father's Day, are we going to see the a rare father-son combo out there? Because give Charlie, what, about six years? Yeah. And maybe he can make the tour. Can Can <laughs> we see that, the father-son team? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Tiger would be in his 50s. Um, you know, maybe Tiger would be on the Champions Tour by then, but uh, wouldn't that be something, huh, to come out and father-son, the two of them playing uh, in the same foursome in a real competitive PGA match? That would be something else. By the way, uh, a shout-out to our other partner in crime, Scarlett Foo. She is off this week. Uh, come on back. Uh, we'll see you next year. Up That's next- right. Number of the week, Scarlett. Yeah. Don't worry. You're, <laughs> You're gonna- <laughs> still up for grabs. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you do it. I'm telling you, man. If Once COVID ends, we're going to Vegas. It's luck, baby. It's all luck. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Today we're joined by Boston Globe sports columnist and associate editor Dan Shaughnessy. He has written a new book, uh, Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. Dan, I, I am so grateful you joined us, and and I was going through uh, some of the pages of your book. Love it, man. Love it. it would, tell me about the love of trying to put this book together. Well, you just like the Bill and beers on the cover, which I'm sure <laughs> got that going on. But uh, no, it was. I mean, Mike knows. I mean, he's from around in Boston area here, and so that team was very fondly embraced in in its time. And uh, I, I still believe the '85 '86 Celtics best team ever. But what this was, I mean, everybody knows who won the games, and this is no attempt to, to go back and, and go over the, the, the history of how good they were and how many Hall of Famers and what the stats were and how many times Larry was MVP. Really, this is kind of a, a pandemic look into a different time in the NBA when it really emerged from 
a, a league where the, the finals were on tape delay and, and they were small time and, and they were not the global entity that they are today. And in, the, in that time, the media was really up close and, and personal, as, as Mike knows. I mean, I, I, when they showed the last dance on ESPN, I kept seeing pictures of my young self sitting at courtside where they used to allow the lowly media to sit. And that all went away when they figured out we can sell these things for a lot of money and kick the media upstairs. And and our access went away with it. And that's okay. That's the way things have evolved. But Mike and I are both glad we got to do it at a time when there was great closeness, great proximity. It's like we were on the team because they needed the coverage from the newspapers. And they let us in. We were on the buses to practice. We were on the floor during the games. We stayed in the same hotels, flew commercial, hotel lobbies, hotel bars. So we were able to tell the fans and the readers what they were like. And that Celtic team that Bird, Parrish, McHale, DJ, Walton, very special team, a lot of characters. And this book is just kind of a love letter to that time in the NBA when it really emerged as a, as a global product and a time when, when the lowly media was able to get up close and personal and tell you what they were like. <laughs> Well, Dan, I read the book, and we had a conversation on another podcast about this. And one of my favorite stories in the book, I think it was out in Salt Lake City, where Larry Bird was one rebound away from a quadruple double. And uh, tell the story how you were at the courtside, and you actually walked down and talked to him. Yeah, we'd get the stat sheet between quarters, and, and he had come out uh, in the third quarter. They were just killing the Utah Jazz. And I looked at the line score, and he had he was one steal away from a quadruple. He had nine steals in three quarters, and um, he had you know, rebounds, assists, and, blah, and, uh, and and points, obviously. And at the time, I think Nate Thurmond had the only quadruple double in NBA NBA history. There's probably been a, a handful since. So I saw this thing, and I just raced down to the end of the bench like high school, and uh, <laughs> I walked past the scores table and behind the bench, and I tapped him on the shoulder. I said. Hey, knucklehead, you can get out back out there and get a quadruple <laughs> double. What are you doing? <laughs> and he just said, "Get the hell out of here, Scoop." They called me Scoop, and uh, and then, but he was asked about it after the game, and I don't know if uh, you know, 35 years later, he regrets not not going for that. But they were w- way ahead, and he was just saving himself for the next game of the trip, and that's kind of how it was wired then. But I think today, uh, a guy'd probably get out there and go get that. I mean, like if that happened today, you'd have your press packs probably revoked, right? <laughs> and you'd probably be sent to the to the press room to watch the rest of the game. Yeah, it would be frowned upon, no doubt about it. <laughs> I remember those days when uh, the Celtics and the Pistons were tangling. And, oh my God! And, oh man, I <laughs> trust me. And I I was a, a youngin back in Detroit covering the Pistons on the other side of that. And, and I'm looking, and I'm like, man, it's like you know. And I thought we had it. That you know, I don't even want to mention the game. You know the game I'm talking about, yeah, yeah, and I yeah. thought we had it, and then we didn't. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious! But you I know, know I can tell you to that point. The, this this is one of the things how the league has changed. You watch the end of these games today, and they're all embracing after the game, hugging the other team, and you know, meet the All Star game, decide how to form the super team for next summer. We'll all get together, and we all love each other. But there wasn't that then, and the hatred between the Celtics and Pistons was so real. Uh, every year when Larry Bird would name an all-star starter, because you know, the, the fans vote for the starters, and then the, there's a panel that votes for the reserves, he would come up to us and say, okay, I'm on that all-star team again. You let me know when they announce the reserves, because I hate it when Lambeer is one of them reserves. <laughs> he says, because it, it ruins my all-star weekend. i got to go practice with him and get on the team bus after practice. And he's sitting in the front row, and he says, good morning, Larry. And I go, go screw you, Bill. That's, just, uh, that's how he was, he was driven by it. It was not like they were going to get together and decide to play on the same team next year. 
<laughs> Since this is the Bloomberg business of sports, it's no secret that Larry Bird probably still has his first communion money tucked away somewhere. But he challenged you challenged him, or he challenged you to a free throw shooting contest with a fully bandaged hand. Yeah, there was always a thing, and Mike, you refereed some of their practices, and and you know you know what they were like. But yeah. a tiny little gym in a Greek Orthodox college that nobody could find, and Red liked that because the media had trouble finding it. The out of town media never would, so that was very private. Nobody bothered him. And but Larry, he just he was uh, like you say, keeps the first dollar he ever made. And you'd walk into the gym, and he'd be standing thirty feet away, and he'd say, "Dollar, shoot for money." And if if you nodded and he made it, you gave him a one. And if he missed it, he gave you one after practice. And it was always trying to get your money uh, by his shooting. And he had busted up his hand in the playoffs during 85. It was actually a barroom episode, unfortunately. But he was playing with tape on his hand during practice. And I'm like, that's unusual. I said, you can't play in a game like that. And he said, Scoop, I could tape my whole hand and make more shots than you. And he clearly had done this before. It was some sort of a pool hustle kind of deal he had. And he says, we'll do 100 free throws, $5 a throw. I'll tape my whole hand up, and we'll see who can shoot with tape on his hand. And I'm like, I guess I can get a story out of this. Bring it on. And I was a good free throw shooter in high school, like most of us bench guys. And um, so... You know, they taped his hand like a boxing glove. He had a bald fist. He had no fingers and just a ball of, of hand. And uh, we rebounded for each other, rounds of 10. And he, he made like six out of 10 the first time, pushing him up there. And I made six, easy enough. And then he the second round, I'm rebounding, and he goes, oh, I figured this out. And he did. They all started going in. And uh, he was just pushing him from the line. And I wasn't even moving, just rebounding each one swish after another. So now when I go out there, I'm seeing $5 bills flying through the air every time I let go of one. <laughs> and uh, he got me for $160 and, and never forgot it. If, if you run into him today and say, hey, Larry, how much did you take Scoop for in 1985 with, with the bet? <laughs> He'd say, I got $160 extra dollars in my pocket. And that's just the way he was. Well, man, I, obviously uh, Larry Bird went to the Michael Jordan school of uh, the hustle, man. Because yeah. I, I <laughs> that, but that, those you, you don't, you probably won't see that in this time and age today. But that that's really neat. I mean, here's one. Mike knows this one. You know, again, our seats were down by the by the bench. So in this at the old garden, we were right next to the bench, and Larry had a shooting routine. Everybody in Boston knew it. You know, some of the times the camera crews would sneak in and take a peek. But the old Boston garden, he dark and cold in the afternoon. He'd get in there around 4.30, shoot around, one equipment guy rebound for him. And I, I would go early for the night game and set up alongside with my Stone Age computer. And uh, he'd come over and say, Scoop, what are you working on? And he had a free throw streak going one time. The NBA record then was 88 in a row by Calvin Murphy. I said, well, I'm writing a story about your free throw streak. You're in the 60s now. So this is going to go out to Maine and the Cape and early edition. Don't miss one tonight or I'm going to look like a jackass in the paper tomorrow because you got the streak. He goes, I got you, Scoop. Well, sure enough, he gets fouled in the first half, goes to the line, makes the first one, turns and winks at me before <laughs> making the second one. I mean, who does that? Who even thinks like that? <laughs> That's some pointing out. I'm going to say, Babe Ruth, this ball is going out right here, man. Dan, it, how has the game changed from the era when you and Lynchy were covering the Boston Celtics to the NBA game today on a business sense? Well, this gets tricky. I mean, you know, on the business end, it's, I mean, the money's so big. 
and and obviously it's a product of with it's a popular product and they Christmas Day for instance you know there used to be one game Christmas Day and the, the the Knicks would play at home because they had a large Jewish population and it wasn't going to affect the crowd they could sell out the garden on Christmas Day so the Knicks played at home and TV would pick that game up so that was it now you got a five game extravaganza you know coast to coast and time zones and you know featuring all the best teams and it's it's a it's a great popular product for them um, the money that the players make, I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, half billion dollar contracts now. And I mean, it was always, we always thought it was big, but, but it's just exponentially so much bigger now. And, and with that, you know, it's just, it's hard to get any kind of, you know, to get to know the players or to get near them. And, and they connect with fans on social media directly and franchises are worth, you know, astronomical amounts of money. So, you know, it's just a very moneyed product and tickets are so expensive. I mean, try, try going to a Knicks game or something now. It's, it's like, I don't know how people do it. A lot of corporate money, I suppose, going into it, but it's a very expensive product. And, uh, that just wasn't the case then. So a little bit, you know, taken away from the common folks. And I think the players have, you know, at the same time, gotten a little bit away from from everybody else because the money's so great. You see it in all sports, but uh, that league in particular, it's 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 way way beyond our our imagination. And one of the central themes, obviously, of 2021, like 2020, was COVID-19. Which league is best prepared to make it to the finish line with all their protocols? Boy, Mike, that's a good question. I mean, the NFL, they, they just go on as if nothing's happening. You know, and then they change the rules on the fly when, when it does. And we just saw it this week with uh, Carson Wentz, the quarterback. I mean, the the old the rules of last week, he couldn't play this weekend, but everybody wants him to play, and the Colts are good, and so they've, they've reconfigured the rules uh, on, on vaccinated, unvaccinated, and COVID, and five-day, ten-day, et cetera. So anyway, they, they fell into it right from the jump. And the, the first year of this, you know, we hit in March 2020. They're in their off season, so they got six months to figure it out while the others are all on the fly. And uh, they they had their whole season. And, you know, move a game here and there like, like that. It's going to be challenging the next six weeks, clearly, as they get through their playoffs. But they, they tend to just soldier on regardless. And they have big rosters. They have 53-man rosters. Uh, that game the other night where the Saints were trying to play it was a farce. But people watching TV don't know that the Saints' offensive linemen are the wrong guys or the second or third stringers. I mean, they're just they're just looking at the quarterbacks and skill positions and the uniforms, and they see they see eleven Saints out there, so they're okay with it. You notice it more clearly NBA right now when you got you know what used to be fifteen man rosters now I don't know the D league guys whatever, but you know teams are having trouble getting eight guys healthy enough to play. That's that's problematic. So the winter sports, you know, they're just getting getting crushed with it. And then you've got the Canadian rules coming in, and this is just, it's its messy. So I, I, uh, I think football just gets away with it better than anybody, like everything else. The NBA uh, commissioner, Adam Silver, says, no, we're not uh, stopping. We're going to keep yeah. on going. We have no reason to, to stop. What do you think about that? I understand. I mean, I think that, that the whole country, the appetite for this is, is so, people are so worn out. Um, and and we see it every day with, with schools and businesses and just in your daily lives. And, you know, I mean, every family is dealing with it. I mean, the, the people I feel worse for are the people who got to get daycare. You know, I mean, the, all of a sudden they, their child can't go to daycare. That's closed, and then and you still want to keep your job. And there's a lot of suffering. I mean, there's, there's the medical suffering and, and the human suffering, but, but the hardships on families trying to scramble to, to take care of their children. And still deal with all these, you know, absences and quarantines and isolations. 
that's enormous toll on the country, and people are just worn out by it. So I don't worry about these sports leagues too much. It's been it's been nice to have them again. It's great to have crowds at the games. I hope they can continue. Um, and I, they seem to be of a mindset to go ahead and do that right now. Baseball, Major League Baseball. Mm. Shohei Otani, to me, was the story of the year in baseball. <laughs> it's an amazing story, Mike. I mean, the fact that this is the Babe Ruth of, of this century, and, and there you have it. And the guy wanted to, to do both, and, and a team allowed him to do both. So the, the, the pitcher who started the All-Star game for the American League was also the home run champion. And that's uh, <laughs> we haven't seen that in 100 years. And and the consensus MVP with a team that's not very good, it's a shame his team's not better. We'll see if that shakes out. They've got all kinds of other issues. But, yeah, when they were playing and, and when it was going – that's that's a draw, and he's really uh, he's really fun. He seems to have a really good attitude about it, and and a great draw for the fans. And when they had the All Star game, it was a huge draw. I mean, these guys in the home run derby, and he's starting pitching the All Star game, and and uh, has never done anything to disgrace the uniform or to make you challenge him. He's just he's all about loving the game, and that's really good for baseball. We were talking about the NFL and how they conduct business, but it's a different time. Uh, it's totally different from when, bluntly, when we were in the locker room, When, especially when I was in the locker room of the USFL. Uh, I remember covering that, and I kind of missed that league. That was, that was a pretty good league. Uh, I wish that would have expanded more. Uh, do you think any auxiliary leagues, football leagues, Dan, can compete with the National Football League? I do not. I mean, it's it's an admirable quest, and I'm, I'm sure there were people 60, 70 years ago that doubting that the AFL would, would take off, and the AFL did take off, and it, it worked. And they, they took on the NFL, and within a decade, there was a merger, and they, they were beating them in the Super Bowl, and that was a wonderful time in, in, in professional sports to have an upstart league in, in that sport. I just think today it's the NFL is such a powerhouse. They're so daunting. They've got the perfect television product. They've got the gambling. They've got the fantasy. They've got the once a week. They've got a game with with violence, and and it lends itself to to betting and big rosters and around the country with a college, you know, totally free farm system of colleges playing. I mean, it's just it's just marvelous. And they've got they've got revenue sharing like nobody else. Where the because they only play once a week, the Kansas City Chiefs can have the same piece of the television pie that the New York football giants have. And you can't replicate that in the other sports. So anyway, it's, it's a perfect model. And I just think it's, it's too tall a task to do it. There's enough talent out there. I mean, to stock teams, there's, there's great players everywhere and you could, but the product's just going to be hard to, hard to, hard to come up against this. You know, this would be like you're going up against Google <laughs> or something right now. I just, I just don't know how you do it. Dan, earlier this week, uh, we lost John Madden at the age of 85 years old. Certainly one of the most recognizable guys across all generations. Now, if we brought up Howard Cosell, nobody under 40 would even know who we were talking about. But we bring up John Madden, and because of EA Sports and Madden 21, 19, 18, 15, would have go back to when it first started, everybody knows him. Uh, As big an impact on the game as anybody you can remember? Well, I think because of what you say about the the video game, and, and you know, that that's how so many young people came to know the sport, came to know players, and, and the whole way it's taken off with fantasy and and betting and and guys having their pools and all this stuff. It's just been a a powerhouse there, and, and good for him on that. I, you and I are old enough to remember him as a sideline coach, and the old Oakland Raiders they they were formidable, 
and they were again part of the upstart AFL with Al Davis, the renegade, you know, looking like Johnny Cash running the show out there, and and he's got this this you know big lumbering coach whose arms are flying around all the time, and and he became famous on television in in the commercials, and then of you know the the light beer commercials, taste great, less filling stuff, and then of course with the broadcasts and. And it became a deal where if they showed up, if Madden and Summerall were at your game, it was a big game because they were there. And just a larger-than-life figure. I do remember the teams he had when he won the Super Bowl. And um, and just he was a character. And, and if he started talking, he just he brought you in. He just wanted to hear what he had to say. You know, a lot like there were some of those like Al McGuire, those old basketball guys who just get into these stories and just go on forever. And he had that. And he brought it to a national television audience. It was great for the league. And then, of course, the video game became the later extension of his career. But I still remember him on the sideline. And, and you know, there were there were things that that, that team out there had an identity, you know, kind of Hells Angels and football and, and uh, the fans and the black hole and all the stuff they had going. But he was a, he was a fair-minded coach. I know that one story in Boston – in August of uh, 1978, I believe, there was a horrible uh, collision on a game out there, and, and, and Madden's safety, Jack Tatum, uh, collided with the Patriots wide receiver, Daryl Stingley, and paralyzed Stingley. Stingley was never walked again and, and died an early death, I don't know, a few decades later. And, you know, Tatum would never apologize, didn't visit him in the hospital, wrote a book. They call me assassin. It was very unrepentant about it and uh, Madden visited Stingley in the hospital every day out in the Bay Area until he was able to travel and and Madden stepped away from the sideline a year later and cited that as as, as one of the reasons so he had a, a great side to him and of course so many friends and and uh, just around football it's 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 going to be nice to see the tributes it was it was weird that they did that a giant mm. video testimony to him last weekend that just ran and they promoted it forever and then it ran, and he died like five days later. Amazing. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I remember that. It's. It, I don't know if you want to call this a happier time with John Madden on the sidelines, but I remember this game, and uh, it's how the, the Holy Roller came to play uh, with uh, Dave Casper, and uh, which is why now they've set up a brand-new rule. Uh, well, not brand-new, but after that, it's like, <laughs> no, you can't uh, purposely fumble and kick the ball into <laughs> the end zone. But it, it, but Madden talked about this story when you see it later on in life. Uh, that uh, you know it, they were talking about you know is, is it a touchdown? And the officials, according to what they're saying, was and the announcer said, "Yes, it is. Get your big butt out of here." And I, I'll I'll never forget that. And seeing him on the sidelines, I it, it, but see, and even a guy like me, I can I cannot remember him when he played. In the NFL, I mean, he did it all. He w- he was the the quintessential football guy, Dan. Yeah, there was some nice clips from that that uh, big video thing that they did, where I don't know, it's, uh, Belichick, I think, says when you if you saw him across the field, you knew it was him. You knew who it was, and you knew there was only one thing he could be. He was the, he was the coach of the Oakland Raiders. That was it. And uh, I actually. Leslie Visser, a good friend of Mike and, and, and mine, who was a, the, the first woman, you know, kind of a pioneer sideline reporter for CBS and um, is in the, the Hall of Fame and Canton and all that stuff. She was very friendly with him, and I remember being in New York once. He lived at the Dakota, if I'm remembering correctly, where John Lennon was assassinated. 
and um, we went and, and hung out with him one night in his apartment. It was it was fascinating because he was this is in the eighties. He was just emerging as this like you know he didn't expect to be famous or clever or like you know really rich. He, he wasn't expecting any of that. It just kind of happened. And uh, so he, he maintained the humbleness about it. And, of course, he didn't fly, so he had the Madden Cruiser, and that was part of his identity, too. You know, this, this you know, <laughs> giant vehicle going all around the country, kind of the party bus. And, and um, just uh, it was hard to find anybody who didn't have good things to say about him. And, and, you know, Mike knows this, but, you know, when the Patriots won their first Super Bowl in New Orleans, uh, it was 20 years ago now. It was February of, of 2002, right after the, the towers fell. And, and um that Super Bowl, you know, Brady was not a rookie, but it was a first-year player, and they were they came into the possession of the ball late, and, and Madden said they should take a knee and just go for <laughs> overtime, and uh, and nope, and he was wrong, and there was a lot of you know hooting on him around here about that, but it was never vicious. It was just like, wow, they even did the opposite of what John Madden said and got away with it. And <laughs> <won the> game. <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't realize he, he in, in this uh, all Madden piece. I watched it again last night, and uh, he said, you know, I went to school. He says, I'm a teacher. Above all, I'm a teacher, and, and teachers, uh, 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 when you coach, you're teaching. He had two sons, Joe and Mike. Mike went and played football at Harvard, and Joe went and played football at Brown, which is, you know, all hard to believe in someone who grew up in Alameda County outside of, outside of Oakland. Yeah, he really valued education, and I, I, remember, I remember him talking about that uh, the, the one time we were at his apartment because he just he looked at it as, are you kidding me? You know, we got you know, guys who can play ball, and they're going to get to go to the Ivy League. Well, why wouldn't you do that? And uh, so, yeah, that, that was like he was really proud of that. And uh, and and I think it it shows something about priorities and having perspective and things in the right place. Boston Globe sports columnist and associate editor Dan Shaughnessy, you are the man. Thank you, sir, for taking time out and just uh, rapping with us about sports and reminiscing and about the business of sports. We appreciate it, Dan. Thank you, sir. Enjoyed it very much, fellas. Thanks to Dan Shaughnessy. He is. Just like you, Lynchy, a bastion of knowledge. <laughs> and, and and I get a kick out of listening to you guys when you guys were covering the Boston Celtics in the era when uh, I was just a young cub covering the Detroit Pistons back in Detroit. I, I love listening to the stories with you guys. You know, Dan is a great writer. He's a great guy. He's a great friend. And he's very courageous. I mean, he, he, he was not afraid to knock somebody. And when he does, he shows up in the locker room the next day and takes his medicine from the players, which is always isn't, uh, isn't pleasant. But he's, uh, as you can see just from the conversation with, this, with the Celtics in this book, I mean, who gets up from the scorer's table and goes down and taps Larry Bird on the shoulder and says, you're one steal away from a quadruple double, you know? I mean, I just wouldn't, if, if I knew it and I thought I was, had a good relationship with him, I still wouldn't have the guts to get on and do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was great to listen to. I, I I listened to those stories, and and then I listened to you guys, and and of course you guys all reflected on uh, John Madden and what he contributed to the league, uh, and and I also listened to because you guys have so much of a knowledge about basketball, uh, about how the league has changed today, yeah. uh, from what it was, you know, back in the uh, mid '80s. From a business stance, it's all about the broadcast money, and, and it uh, it amazes me uh, how this continues on. That that's the reason why, especially with COVID, I, and I know some people out there. Why do you keep talking about COVID? Because COVID, this is horrible for me to say. 
outside of the fact of the health, obviously, mm-hmm. of, of what goes on out there, COVID is bad for business. And, and uh, we had uh, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio say that. Uh, and it is true. Because games get canceled, performances get canceled, and if games get canceled, that means TV revenue dries up, and that's where another problem comes in. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're seeing it in the bowl games, uh, and Dan mentioned it. Just you know, people with daycare, people at home, it trickles down everywhere from from the highest mountain of the financial empires to the simple little family that's trying to put food on the table, get to work, and get their children to daycare. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Uh, and uh, Scarlet Fu, she's off this week. So this means, Dan, you are the man going up against Lynchy. This is going to be good. This is like the Battle of the Titans, like Jeopardy, and you know, but they played the IBM computer. <laughs> this is good because you got two Boston guys going. I want to see this. Uh, this question is about Tom Brady, and of course, you know, I'm, we all know that Tom Brady before he played for uh, the Buccaneers, uh, or they, they played the Buccaneers now today, and before that, he was with the New England Patriots, of course, everybody knows that. Uh, today, uh, the NFL, and I say today as as in uh, just quotes, they're getting sick and tired of Tom Brady wrecking surface go to <laughs> tablets. Uh, here's my question to you guys. How much is a Microsoft Surface Go 2 tablet, according to Amazon.com. And I will start with you, Lynchy. Hmm. I know that Microsoft paid $400 million for the deal um, with the NFL. I'm going to bet that those things go for, so I'm going to stay with the same number. I'm going to stay with four, $400. It's going to be a parallel number to that $400 million for the deal. I'm going to say $400. Dan, Microsoft Surface Go 2. I'm going to go higher. I'm going to say $900. Oh, Dan, you went way too high, man. It was, <laughs> it was, when you said you were going to go higher, I'm like, he's got this. It's $449.99. Ah. So by the Price is Right rules, are we in, in, oh. enforcing those? Yeah, <laughs> and we're enforcing Price is Right rules. Man. That means I got, I got ripped off last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, I'll explain something about that, because there are many other <laughs> Surface tablets that cost more. Now, there's another one that's $745.99. Uh, that's the one with the 10.5-inch touchscreen tablet. Then you got the Pro 8 Platinum. That's almost $900. I can go on. But the one that we're talking about, the Surface Go 2, uh, that is $449.99. $800, which one do you have? I'm out of touch, man. I still got a flip phone. You could tell me anything. <laughs> Dan, Dan Shaughnessy, you are the man. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us. Thanks, Enjoy Dan. it, fellas. Happy New Year. You too. Thank you, Dan.
This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we are here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast, You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch at Lynchy WCVB. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.